You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. folks and welcome to episode 93 of the let's talk photography podcast i'm your host bart bushots and this is the show for june 2021 well it's a solo show this month um i had been planning on getting a guest but it didn't quite work out that way and uh well it's time to record so it's just little old me but as it happened inspiration struck um and i i think i have what's going to be a fun show for you so something i say so often that it's probably a cliche at this stage, is that you never stop learning photography. You can never know anything. You can never master any technique. There's always more history to observe. You can always get a deeper understanding of the artistry of photography. You can always improve your technique with the camera. You can always improve your software skills. You can always pick up new techniques, whether it be you know in the field or in the digital darkroom afterwards. There is always, 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 always more to learn. And I always say that at every opportunity I get, as I say, to the point that I'm almost a cliche of myself, which is great. And hopefully I've convinced you that you want to keep learning. But that's not really all that useful, is it? Because surely to goodness, the real question is how? How should we keep learning? Can I offer any guidance in that regard? Well. The one thing I absolutely think we have to say here is that there is no right answer, right? There is no correct way to learn. At the end of the day, the way you learn is the way you learn. And what works for you works for you. And it might work for someone else or it might guide someone else in the right direction. So I am absolutely positively not going to tell you how to learn. The most useful thing I can do is to share with you how I learn in the hope that at least some of what I say resonates with you and that it either, you know, gets you thinking and you'll go and do something completely different that works for you, what I'll have inspired you, or maybe some of these will just resonate with you straight away and you can just add this to your own, you know, mental toolkit. I don't know. I'm offering these uh, not so much, uh, definitely, definitely, definitely not as a, as a recipe or, a, you know, a do this, uh, but more as a, a sort of sharing. Here's what I do. It works for me. Maybe it'll help you. So I, I sat down this morning to, to sort of write these show notes and get my, my, my mental ducks in a row. And I was rather surprised to find that I actually came up with eight different uh, thoughts on the matter. So I'm just going to go through them in the order they they came to me. So the first thing that came to me was study photos. We live in a world that is just awash with photography. Photography is everywhere in our lives. If you were to try to count every photograph you see on a day, I, I don't think you'd succeed because there's just so many. So we're bombarded with photograph photographs all the time, and yet only a tiny percentage of them will actually catch our our eye, right? We're only consciously aware of a few images every day. So obviously those few images that reach from the subconscious into the conscious, there's probably a why. So why did that photo catch your eye? 
So I, I sort of make it a point that when, when a photograph catches me, I, if I can, stop and think, why? What was it about that picture that made it stand out? Why did that one get my eye and not the one I saw 10 seconds ago? Why did that one make me do a double take and take a closer look? Why did that ad catch my eye but the other one didn't? And that goes for every type of photography. So if you can, ask yourself, what is it about this image that made it actually work in terms of being a photograph that catches you? So just as a very mundane example, I was I was out for some fresh air this morning and as I was out and about, I am sure I passed by many photographs. But one caught my eye. It was stuck to the side of a bus stop. It was an ad from McDonald's and it was a chicken mayo something or other sandwich. Why did that catch my eye? Well, the photographers at McDonald's went for arguably an unusual choice. The burger was at a jaunty angle. It, it, it wasn't horizontal with the billboard. It was at a jaunty angle. And it was photographed with a very, very, very shallow depth of field in a very, very white room. So the, the background was very clean feeling, very unintimidating and non-distracting. And the only real colour on the poster was obviously the McDonald's logo and the burger with the most golden, delicious looking chicken, the most lovely looking lettuce, etc, etc. So obviously, by having the burger at a slight angle instead of being boring, plain, parallel with the ground and having that very, very serene, very nice background with the colours really popping, I presume that's what held, what made that photograph catch my eye. Now, well done to the marketing team at McDonald's because I don't know what other products I walked right past within minutes of that burger. But the burger caught my eye and the others didn't. So it did something right. They did something right. So lesson learned. Don't keep everything parallel. There is a lot to be said for a jaunty angle, like a hat. So, you know, photograph catches your eye. Take a moment and see why. Why did it catch my eye? The other thing I am a firm believer in is that you should learn the rules. Not so that you diligently stick to them, because as I've said a million and one times, they're not rules, they're guidelines. But you need to learn them because they didn't just appear out of nowhere. They, they have something behind them. So when you actually learn the rules, you will not, don't, don't do it skin deep, right? Actually dig a little deeper and understand why. Why do we tell people? To do a certain thing. Why? Right? And if you get to the why, then A, you'll understand the advice better and you may just be able to use it straight up better. But if you understand the why, you can also break the rules effectively. So if a rule is designed to give you a certain result and you want the opposite result, then the rule comes with an immediate corollary that you can just use, corollary that you can just use. Do the opposite. You won't get there unless you understand the why. So a classic example of this is there's a rule that you should give subjects room to look into. I'm a huge believer in this rule. And look into can be very generic, right? A flower has a quote-unquote face, and if you want a harmonious composition with the flower, then you should not have it pointing straight at the edge of the screen. And I've just given away the key here, right? The why of this rule is the subtext to create a harmonious composition. Give subjects room to look into 
to create a harmonious composition, or probably better said in actual English, to create a harmonious composition, give your subjects room to look into, right? That subtext isn't said every time, it's just give your subjects room to look into. So you now know why that rule exists. And most of the time, I certainly like to create harmonious compositions. If I'm taking a picture of a train, I leave it some room to move into. If I'm taking a photograph of a flower, I leave it some room to look into. A butterfly, some room to look into. A person, some room to look into. But if I want to create tension, if I want to create a tense photograph, an uncomfortable photograph, a jarring photograph, I will intentionally slap the frame right into the gaze of the person or thing, right? Don't give it, don't give them or it room to look into. Cut it off. Do it on purpose. Break the rule because you want that effect. And that goes for any of these rules, right? All, all of these rules, which aren't rules, are just guidelines. They all exist to achieve a specific end. They all have a context. They're not universal. And if you understand the context and how they work, then you can break them to amazingly good effect. So learn the rules so you can break them. And of course, rules can be just useful, right? So if you want a nice composition, use leading lines. If you want a nice composition, an S shape can be great. right? They're, they're just useful in and of themselves. But also remember that breaking can be extremely powerful. So learn them so you can use them and break them, I guess is what I'm saying. The third thing that came to my mind is one that may be the most controversial of everything I say today. Imitate. Copy. Right? In the real world, before we go running a marathon, we learn to crawl, and then we learn to walk, and then we learn to run, and then we train to run a marathon. Right? It's it's a progression. So, if you want to get really good at photography... The start of the journey is simply to figure out how to recreate photographs, techniques, or styles that we somehow find interesting, that we somehow admire. So imitating is actually a really important foundation to your learning. So uh, you can't riff on an idea until you've mastered the idea. And as long as you're not dishonest about it, there's absolutely positively nothing wrong with it, right? Taking someone's idea, imitating it, like, you know, verbose, not verbose, uh, completely, right? Just going out and recreating almost the same photograph. And then pretending that's your own work. That's dishonest. That's immoral. And depending on whether or not you're charging money for it, might be a fraud as well, right? That, That is at the very least morally reprehensible. But seeing a technique and proactively going out to try recreate a photograph and being honest about it and say, this is my attempt to recreate whatever photograph. That's completely different. That's a learning experience, right? As long as you're honest, there's absolutely nothing wrong with imitating or copying. It is a part of how you develop skills. Only when you've figured out how to imitate what others have done are you ready to move beyond, to add your own flair, to to decide, well, okay, so I know that's how, you know, this technique is normally applied, but I don't like it that way. I prefer it this way. Well, you can't tweak until you can imitate. So it's actually very important to copy, right? It's, it is flattery, and just don't be dishonest about it. That, that's just wrong, right? Take someone else's photograph, recreate it, and try to make money off it or whatever. That, that's just wrong. 
But imitating for learning, that's that's just how we learn. The fourth thing that came to my mind was get critiqued. And I don't mean go on the internet and get insulted. It's <laughs> very easy to do. Wander into the wrong community uh, online, post your photograph and just watch people cut it to pieces. Pointless. Absolutely, positively pointless. Waste of your time. will only make you cranky. You won't learn anything. When I say get critiqued, what I mean is seek out honest appraisals from people who have earned your trust and respect. And if you're honoured enough to be asked to do the same, pay it forward. If, if there's someone who values your opinion, take the time to give the honest critique and pay it forward, because ultimately there is nothing more valuable than an honest appraisal of what you're up to from someone who you know has the skills to pay the bills and who you know is telling you what they really think and not just telling you what they think they want to hear. Or not just, you know, dissing you because it gives them a perverse power trip. Right? There's enough of that on the on the internet. We don't need any more. It's not easy to find people who can give you that honest appraisal, but it's so darn valuable when you do. So seek it out whenever you can. The next thing that came to me then was that uh, I think it's really important to embrace change. So Some people are lucky enough to be free of the fear of the unknown, to be unburdened by a fear of change. I am not one of those people. I have to proactively work at not being a stick in the mud. My natural tendency, my natural temptation is to figure out something that works and just do it forever. Ever, never, 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 never change it again. That's not really a good way to be a photographer. So I, I have to constantly check myself, right? Modern tech moves fast. So even if I didn't mind never learning again, which I do mind, no matter how much I were to want to figure out how to do something once and just do it forever, it's not going to work in the 21st century. Like it or lump it, I am going into the future, right? I I loved Aperture. I wanted to keep using Aperture forever. I can't. Not a choice. So either I spend all of my time and energy fighting the inevitable and being cranky, or I embrace the fact that change is coming and I lean into it. I stop trying to swim against the current and I swim upstream. And that is something I have to work on all the time. Go into new things with an open attitude. Not preconditions, not having made up your mind. Embrace the change. Seek out what makes it better. And I, what I have in the show notes is determinately open-minded. And honestly, that is one of my, I know that is one of my weaknesses. I, I am just a naturally conservative person by nature. I have to work on embracing change. Well, yeah, as I say, change is coming. So I can either be cranky about it or I can be proactive about it. So I'm, I have chosen to do my darndest not to be cranky stick in the mud. I fail sometimes. I fail a lot. But anyway, 
I, I try. And I, I would suggest that is a less stressful attitude because, you know, one way or the other, change is coming. So put your energy into making the most of it, not into trying to hold it back. The other thing, all right, so this is a, this is a podcast about the art and craft of photography. And one of the things we don't do is, you know, is this lens from Tamron better than that lens from Sigma? We, we're not a gear show. But that's different to understanding the technology. So we have done entire episodes on very small aspects of the technology of photography. And I think that's really important because the art and the craft of photography are deeply intertwined. And the point where the art meets the craft is technology, right? Artistic desire drives technology and technological limitations constrain what's possible. So the art pushes the technology and the technology constrains the art, right? It's all interlinked. So the better you understand the software and hardware you use, the more you're going to get out of your tools, right? A lot of the fun stuff is at the edges of the capabilities of our software and or hardware. If you don't know where the edges are, if you don't know everything that your stuff can do, well, then you're not exploring the full range of possibilities out there. And the better you understand, the better use you're going to get out of everything we have. And we're blessed to live in a world where there is so much at our disposal in software and hardware. You know, take the time to understand what the tools do, and you will be rewarded by getting more out of those tools. The next piece of advice that occurred to me was, I mean, initially I had it in the show notes as read, but that's actually, the the mechanism for getting the information into your brain isn't important. So I changed it to read, watch, listen. Right? It's about seeking points of view that are not your own and giving them genuine consideration. And it is... It is certainly the case that there are a lot of blowhards out there in the modern world. And I'm not suggesting you should waste your time trying to find some diamonds in the rough amidst blowhard nonsense. Rather, there also exists a lot of wisdom and insight out there. So seek out the signal from the noise. And when you've found the signal, do your honest best to absorb what is being communicated in that signal. And I think that actually goes double when the opinions are not yours. When when the advocate is making an argument for a technique you currently think is meaningless or you currently don't like or particularly, frankly, things I think are stupid. Because a lot of the time, on deeper inspection, it turns out I'm just being prejudiced and silly. So when you have found opinions from people who've earned your respect, especially opinions you disagree with them, take the time to absorb what they're trying to say and to genuinely try see it from their point of view. I mean, you may not change your mind. You, you may just find yourself going, nope. I still think selective colour is silly. But you might not. And even if you do decide 
that actually on balance I I was right. It's still been a good experience because you now have a much better idea of why you like the technique or why you dislike the technique or, you know, why this isn't the tool for you, even though you're maybe on the fence. Do I, don't I want to buy, you know, a, a certain, do I, or, do I or don't I need a macro lens? Or maybe you think you don't, but you still have this niggling doubt and then you watch someone who's trying to tell you why you do and you honestly consider their points of view, and then you realize, oh, no, actually, that doesn't describe me at all. I actually have no need for this lens. I can now stop feeling bad about not spending money I don't have on a lens I don't need. Or, it may completely for your mind, you may think to yourself, I don't need a macro lens. What would I need a macro lens for? And you watch the video, or you listen to the podcast, or you read the article, and you go, oh, actually, I could do X, Y, Z, W, Q, P, etc. Maybe that is worth spending 300 quid on or whatever. So, you know, take the time to absorb the signal when you find it. Ignore the blowhards. Seek out the signal and give it a genuine and honest consideration. And you stand to learn a lot. Particularly to break you out of your own prejudices. And we all have them, right? We all have our own preconceived notions and we should challenge them whenever we can. And then the last point is particularly philosophical really but I stand by it learn your history so compared to most of the arts photography is an absolute neophyte right? 1839 is when photography as we know it came into being but it didn't actually just poof out of nowhere right? it was the culmination of a whole bunch of forces desires technologies that came together to make it possible to capture an image automatically. Right? There was a real desire to do that. There was technological progress, and the desire and the technology came together in 1839. But understanding what those forces were and how we got to 1839 is already valuable. But of course, since 1839, photography changed a lot. And it didn't change randomly on a whim. It changed because of forces, which are some technological, some cultural, some social, some artistic, some fashion. So many forces move photography. So many desires, so many changes in outlook, so many world situations, simple stuff, you know, mundane stuff like the the supply of certain metals made certain photographic processes more difficult so couldn't be done anymore, so we had to invent something new. That new technology had a side effect. It's all sorts of things. Basically, photography has always been and will always be an evolving art. So right now, at this minute in time, we're at a snapshot. And the only way to have even the vaguest guess as to what comes next is to have a good understanding of how we got to where we are and then to attempt as best we can to project forward. And the more you understand how we got to now, I think the richer your understanding of photography is, and the better you'll understand why it is that trends are heading the way they're heading. So I just, I think there's real value to be had in learning, you know, all about photography since 1839 to now, be that about the technology, be that about the practitioners, be that about the images, be, you know, any aspect you can think of, the art or the craft, it is 
I find it immensely valuable to understand the forces, how it's changed and the forces that drove it to change. So, for better or for worse, those are my thoughts on how I learn. And as, as I finished recording this, I realized that I should have included, perhaps I call it a point zero, so that I still come to eight. Um, but uh, do you know what just can't be substituted? You learn by doing. Practice, 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 practice. 10,000 hours, cliche, cliche, cliche. But I, I guess, yeah, how do you get good at photography? You photograph. I guess I should say that. I, I may I may edit my show notes and pop it in as point zero, but it, it it goes for anything, right? How do you get better at writing? You write. How do you get better at reading? You read. How do you get better at driving? You drive. How do you get better at cycling? You cycle. How do you get better at photography? You photograph. So, yeah, I guess I should say that, even if you could argue it goes without saying. Let's just say it anyway. Practice, practice, practice. Well, I am going to draw a line under it here. I hope my musings have helped you have been of some value. Maybe inspired you to rethink about how you learn, how how you continue to improve your artistry and your craftsmanship when it comes to photography. Both are valuable. Both are important. You need both to come out with good photographs. You need to be good at using your tools, which is the craft, and you need to have an interesting vision of what you want to capture, which is the art. Right? That's why it's the art and craft of photography. You need to learn both, in my opinion. I won't even say in my humble opinion. If you want to be a good photographer, you need both art and craft. Neither alone is, is, is interesting. It needs to be both. Okay, I'm going to stop rambling now, because I've gone well off the end of my show notes. I want to take a moment to thank absolutely everyone who has ever supported the show in any way. And supporting the show takes many forms. And, uh, you know, obviously money comes into it. While it does not cost me money to talk into a microphone, it does cost money for the microphone I'm talking into to come into existence, for the software that is recording my blabberings to come into my possession, for the computer running the software to become mine. For the website, hosting the files, you get the idea, right? Podcasting isn't free. It's not my job. It's not something I intend on making my job. But I do kind of want it to financially pay for itself. You know, it takes time and I don't expect to be recompensed for my time. I do it for fun. But I would like it to break even apart from my time. So I am very relieved to be able to say that the show is approximately give or take in the ballpark of breaking even right if we do it as a as an economics exercise instead of an accounting exercise we can say it breaks even and it breaks even because you guys rock there are no advertisers the people who support this show are the people who listen to this show 100% listener supported so everyone who helps me pay the bills whether they become a regular contributor through patreon or whether they make a one-off donation through PayPal. All of you who do so make the show possible. Thank you. But don't feel bad if you've never signed up to Patreon, because, you know, hey, I understand all too well that listening to podcasts is a luxury. One of those first-world nice things we get to do if we're lucky, right? Putting food on tables. Petrol in car, electricity in car, electricity in house, 
all of that stuff, you know, food in children, all of that stuff is far, 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 far more important than podcast in ear. So I would hate to think that anyone ever put themselves under any financial strain whatsoever just to support any podcast, let alone my podcast. But just because money isn't the way you want to help, or the, you know, doesn't mean you can't do amazingly helpful things and doesn't mean many of you haven't done amazingly helpful things. So if you have ever told a friend about the podcast, thank you. That is a genuinely appreciated support of the podcast. If you ever tweeted about a show, thank you. That really helps spread the word. If you've ever reviewed the show and in a podcast, that's fantastic. That helps get the show out in front of more people. If you've ever sent me feedback or submitted a question, you know, thank you. That gets my brain juices flowing, right? That's where ideas for episodes come from. They come from you guys. And around the world too. But, you know, the stuff comes from you guys. So all of it is supporting the show. All of it is appreciated. So thank you very much to everyone out there in listener land. If you weren't there, I wouldn't be here. So thank you. Okay, well, all that said, um, I you are all managing to stay safe i'm hoping you're all managing to stay inspired and until we speak next happy snapping you're listening to another great podcast in the mymac podcasting network Looking for a show that talks about Apple and Apple products? Then Geekiest Show Ever is for you. What about Amazon? Google. Geekiest Show Ever is for you. Mesh networks, distance learning, all kinds of technology, interviews. Yes, Geekiest Show Ever covers that too. I'm Elisa Paselli. And I'm Melissa Davis. Listen to the Geekiest Show Ever on the MyMac Podcasting Network in your favorite podcast player. Feedback, show ideas, and reviews, always welcome.